0: You're listening to an Anna Zaw Ministries podcast. Have you ever criminally blown up your mean aunt like a balloon? Are your school books literally on the brink of eating you alive? Do you have friends that unbeknownst to you can travel through time? Or pets that have actually been murderous fugitives in hiding? And does the light shine brightest through the darkest of times? Uh, this is a Sigmatic ecology. We are the priests of the geeks and... Uh, Buckle up your hippogriffs, because we're talking about The Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, And joined with me is Christian Ashley. How are you, Christian?
1: Nick, I'm doing well. I'm so ready to talk about this book. As the series keeps
0: going, I just keep getting more excited. I know. I like put in bits here where I'm like, yeah, I'm just anticipating us talking about it. I'm like, yeah, these are the things I'm going to say for the next future episodes. Uh, Yeah, super stoked. (laughs) Uh, but as you can, uh, as you can tell, I'm, 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 going next and talking without, uh, asking Judy to, uh, introduce herself and talk about things. So Judy, uh, just out of schedule and could not be with us. Uh, we're going to miss her for this talk, but we will get her for the next one, but we're going to trap her like Rita Skeeter next time. And she will be our little bug in a bottle, um,
1: I was oh, gonna, yeah.
0: I, I was, I was gonna say Horcrux, but she, Judy's too good. She's too good. She can't be a Horcrux. <laughs> we can't do
1: that to her. Defame her character like that.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, I mean, may, so, maybe Joshua. Yeah, yeah, maybe Joshua. Joshua definitely <laughs> uh, a a prime candidate for Horcrux, for her Horcrux uh, transformation.
1: I mean, the truth is, it's probably TJ, and he's just putting on that wonderful TJ facade. That you know,
0: even when it happens, I'm not going to be upset because mm-hmm. you played me well. You know, you know TJ giving off some major Tom Riddle vibes, giving off some major Tom Riddle <laughs> vibes. And we can say this because he doesn't listen to the stuff we do. So we can <laughs> slander him as much as we want. I love it. Ta- take that, TJ, in your face. He won't ever hear it. <laughs> Uh, So before we dive into this discussion and uh, or possibly uh, defaming the rest of our uh, our cast here, (laughs) uh, Christian, what have you been nerding out on lately? How's life? All the good things.
1: Life. Life is good right now, Nick. It's rough with the new semester and everything, just getting into the groove of these different classes. But it is what it is. got to push forward. Now, as far as what I've been geeking out on recently. Well, uh, I have been reading through a couple of books on Atlantis in preparation for the next Friday Night Frights, uh, which I think, if I remember our schedule correctly, should be when this episode releases happening on that Friday. So look forward to seeing you guys there on YouTube. Okay. But uh, the one in particular I've been geeking out on is Edgar Cayce on Atlantis. Edgar Cayce is a very weird figure uh, in the parapsychological world, uh, a Christian mystic I can't say I 100% agree with everything
0: he says and does, but the man's fascinating. Man, so interesting. And you're doing the horror stuff, and I didn't realize that Atlantis could fit into that category. Well, that's
1: uh, horror is kind of like a misnomer. It's more like, in general, like the weird and fantastical.
0: Mm. Yeah, that sounds super fun, and uh, y'all don't want to miss that for sure. So go to YouTube. And, and do that. Subscribe to Systematic Ecology so you can have fun and dive down deep uh, to Atlantis with Christian. Uh, what I've been nerding out on lately is my wife and I have been eating up some Apple TV Plus stuff. And we have just started Severance. And I have heard multiple people say how good it is. It's dark. It's very Kafka-esque. And uh, I'm on, we just finished episode three. And man, it is just bleak, but in the most fascinating, uh, way. Uh, it's kind of a critique about work life balance, um, in a weird kind of sci-fi sort of way. Of course, um, Adam Scott's in it, who, for those of you who don't know, is in, uh, step brothers and is in, um, parks and rec. And he is just spectacular. He's the lead. So anyway, been enjoying it. If you like Kafka esque uh, cynical, You know, postmodern, technological, dystopian stuff. Highly recommend. Highly recommend. Coming up on fall break for my first year of teaching high school. And it has been uh, challenging in a good way. Educationally, it's been challenging. Classroom management has been challenging. um, But I have really, really enjoyed it. And so I've got lots of things planned for October. You know, I've got uh, we're going to a hobbit hole for, for fall break going to alabama Mm -hmm. to hang with family i'm going to theology beer camp in springfield uh and i'm just pumped october's gonna be full and it's spooky season it's just it's I'm, i'm like i'm gonna come out of my shell like october is when nick's final form you know all right gets there so yeah 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 And I was actually, well, this is good because I was, was a spooky season. I was listening to a podcast about Harry Potter as horror and mm. Prisoner of Azkaban. I mean, all through, all the books have elements of horror, but the Prisoner of Azkaban brings them into Mentors, uh, which brings in a whole different level, different layer uh, to add to that. But we, uh, we'll we we'll dive in. We, we brought up the Prisoner of Azkaban uh, in the last episode um, as kind of the hinge for the trajectory of the series. Uh but let's let's go back before we, you know, get into all that good stuff. Let's go back to uh talk about our first encounter with the book and how it affected us.
1: Yeah, I think I got this like almost as soon as it released, because if I'm remembering correctly, which is always bad when I go back in the past, my my memories are very fractured as I get older. I, I think this was around the time the movies had come out a little bit before this and I was getting into the books a bit more. So I finished this in like a day and a half, man, I think, and just loved it so much, like completely fooled as, you know, a young, probably 13-ish around the time. And like, oh, Sirius Black is obviously the villain because the narration says so. And then, nope, that ain't true. And you just need to learn how to be a better reader, Christian. And that's one of the fun things about this book it does teach you to be a better reader, pay attention to
0: things. Oh yeah, we talked about some of the mystery stuff that um you know show up uh, obviously in every book, but in in The Sorcerer's Stone it's there to a minor degree. Chamber of Secrets it's all over the place, but I think that here it is done just so well where all the threads get pulled and once they do and they unravel and you're just like did not expect any of that. Um yeah, you know, I go back because I, I, I saw the movies first. And so that's kind of my first um, experience. And so my memories associated with that. We're in the theaters and I think probably it just hit me different than the first two books. There's something about the, or for the first two movies. There's something about the first movie that's very magical as, as the first part of the series um, goes. Like I said, 2001, it was in that time where there was just a really heightened time of practical effects along with CGI that, that kind of started going away. And, but the third movie as far as acting and special effects and, um, bringing in different elements of horror and new characters and different mysteries. Uh, it just, I remember it just blew me away where you've got, you know, Buckbeak and, uh, Animaguses and, uh, uh, you know, it just, it was it, the CGI for both the Chamber of Secrets and the Sorcerer's Stone were very much of its time. And I feel like we get to see that kind of evolve into something more mature, um, and something that has probably aged a little better, I think. And so I think that mm-hmm. that stuff, I was a teenager when I saw that. So of course, special effects and action were probably more of what I was looking for. And so that's kind of what I, what I remember.
1: Yeah. I just realized I had my timelines messed up. Uh, this came out in 99, the book, and the movie came out in 2004. Yeah. So change the ages and all that to ac- accurately measure up to how time actually works. And we'll discuss time later on, too,
0: as that comes up in the series. Ooh, you know, did did Christian, in fact, have a time turner? You know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Where is my letter to Hogwarts, Christian? Where is it? But I've been waiting for years. It's not fair.
1: <laughs> now I will say too about the, the the movie. Yeah, uh, I remember walking out of the movie, not disappointed, but not totally there at that age with all the decisions that uh, our new direct- director for that one, Alfonso Quaron, however you pronounce his last name, right. Like, I remember the, the shrinking heads not in the books and then uh, not totally being with all that. But as I've grown up, like, I appreciate that film a lot better now.
0: It's tough to because I agree. What's his uh, what's his name? He the first two was directed by the guy who did Home Alone. Um, oh, and I think Christian's looking it up. Yeah, I, I know I can see his name.
1: It's C-U-A-R-O-N. I don't know if that's Quaron or something else or uh, listeners, please correct us for terrible mispronunciations you're talking about
0: for alfonso yes yeah yeah oh it was christopher uh it was it was something oh, christopher co- uh columbus was the yes. first one sorry yeah no no but you got it that's great for the third one so christopher columbus did the first two and of course mixed with john williams and just the nostalgia back to like the 90s and all that it's such a like you said it, it kind of goes in a different direction and feels a little different um and uh, no, chris columbus chris columbus yeah presumably named after christopher but he just uses chris yeah so there you go folks chris columbus his directing is excellent if you love the first two movies the home alone series he directed or he directed the first two also just absolutely magical movies uh having a harry potter moment now listeners you can't see but my cat wants to join yeah Yeah, uh, crookshanks just showed up for a brief cameo 100 percent uh my his wally is his name and he's is my little crook <laughs> Uh yeah. So with with all this, you know, we with the books and the movies, um, you know, we, you know, we the Chamber of Secrets for both uh, mediums really brought in a ton of new elements into Harry Potter. Right, we talked about it: characters, history, monsters, magic, and mystery, that sort of thing. Um, and we had talked about how it was a lot. And at times a little clunky, even though we all love it. Um, How and why does The Prisoner of Azkaban execute this complexification better? Or, you know, Christian, if you don't agree with that, um, is the better of the two in terms of that. Tell us why. I do think this is the better of the two. And I think one of the reasons it really works for me is this is when
1: we start getting paid off as a reader. For things that she's mentioned before, for the world building that she's done. I mean, we go through things like first book, Sirius Black is mentioned by Hagrid as the person he got the motorbike from. Yeah. Uh, I think it's the first book as well. Uh, We get Ollivander bringing up that Harry's dad was really good at transfiguration. Oh, no. What does that have to do with this book turning into an animagus? Sounds like transfiguration to me. And of course, uh, there's this whole thing about the Weasley twins. They're so good at finding ways out. Well, how are they able to do it? Well, we find the Marauder's Map in this one. And that, to me, just helps build this world up more. And then it raises the stakes without being over the top. Like, there is a supporter of Voldemort out there. We think it's Sirius Black, but it's actually someone who betrayed Harry's family, one of their trusted friends, Peter Pettigrew, and now he's probably looking for him. that's bad.
0: This is world-shaking. Oh, man. And the way that, you know, how we just... Feel the eeriness and the closeness of the evil, potentially evil things. You know that basically could happen from these mysteries basically coming to light. These these dark elements, Sirius Black, or uh, or Peter Pettigrew, right? Where you where they're like, oh, the the fat lady. You know, she's like he's in the castle, all that stuff they're looking for. The other paintings are looking for, uh, you think about when Harry's on the hallway and sees Peter, Peter Pettigrew walking and walk, walking right past him. One of the, I mean, I mean, uh-huh. one of the scariest parts, right? Cause he, is he dead? Is he alive? Is he evil? Like he was the character that was, you know, told to be murdered by Sirius black. And so what's, what's happening. And of course we've got, um, Lupin, right. Who, as this mm-hmm. mysterious character that we don't really know about, who uh, is this close guy who helps Harry to fend off to mentors, um, but also has a lot of very uh, hidden elements about himself that we learn that he knows about the Marauder's yeah. Map and all these different things. Um, and I think that, particularly with Lupin, which we'll talk about later, but I think his character brings a whole different level of mystery and I, his color gray, you know, his clothes kind of give us that. He's a very gray character. He's just very mm-hmm. not. He's just misty. He's muddy. You don't know. You, you can't put your feet. You love him. Right. But you we don't really know everything yeah. about him until later.
1: Yeah. almost definitely like everything that's brought up here just keeps paying off as time goes on. Like. For Harry, like we start to learn more about his parents from a source that really loved them. So it's colored by that. Yes. While at the same time, we have learning a bit more about how Snape really hates uh, James. And we start learning a little more about that here. And it just, as the series goes on, it's like, oh, okay, these were the seeds that were planted. So when the payoff comes up, this tree is looking pretty dang mighty.
0: Yeah, 100%. And you know this book here really takes also is like the it 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 was like the the rainforest that grew over time you know with the first mm. part but then like now this rainforest is here and now from this point onwards it's just like a radical crazy uncontrollable jungle that just keeps growing from it <laughs> right because we've got the seeds yeah. planted and then it's just even more so uh, in the Prisoner of Azkaban um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super good there. Super good. Um, You know, we talked about it, obviously, Christian getting his time mixed up because he is a time traveling wizard and is withholding his Hogwarts information from me. It's a conspiracy and I'm very upset. (laughs) Uh, So but time travel, you know, comes into play in the wizarding world in this book, right? Uh, which, and a lot of times, time travel can get wonky when you try to make it a main plot function in a story, right? Besides Back to the Future, uh, I think that The Prisoner of Azkaban has one of the best time travel functions in pop culture. Uh, and do you agree, Christian? And if you do or don't, explain your position. Yeah, I know a
1: lot of people out there don't like that this was introduced into the series, especially when time travel is brought up. It brings a lot of things, messy things. It's like, well, who can use it? How does it change the past? Can you change the past? Can you change the future? Like, uh, It brings up a lot of uneasy questions, but I think the way Rowling did it here is very effective Mm -hmm. in that sense of, okay, it, it it seems a little foolish in our eyes, but it's just used for a little 13-year-old girl to be able to go back and take an extra class or two. But at that same time, it's like the perfect example of a stable time loop of you you can affect the past because you already did it in the future. You already did it in the past. and it, It's one of those things. Time travel logic kind of gets – the tenses get weird, right. get messed up. But like – Harry is able to save himself because he was always there in the future, coming back to the past to save himself because he had already been able to produce returns beforehand. And he just didn't know that he was well enough. But he had to have that realization later on that he was capable of doing it. Uh, they're able to save Buckbeak. They, we hear the, the axe swing down. Well, we don't actually see Buckbeak die. That's because McNair gets angry and swings it into a, a pumpkin instead. Like great imagery there. Great. Uh, use of uh, auditory to mess with our our minds as a reader so that it pays off in the end.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. You know, I think too, that a lot of time, that time loop that you were talking about, that it stays pretty simplified, right? It's just this kind of two part time loop and it's very determinative. Like things happen the exact same way. And I think a lot of times when time travel gets super messy and just doesn't make sense and can negatively impact the plot of stuff is when there's multiple timelines like more than two and people have this freedom and then it gets into weird stuff like a philosophical ontology and metaphysics like how does the world work what kind of person is this if you kill your other timeline self are you actually killing yourself what if your name is loki and your uh, female counterpart is also <laughs> named loki can you fall in love with that per- timeline person oh and gosh are you fall- yeah you know it just gets insane and you know i even think of like ant-man in endgame one of my least favorite uh functions of like quantum time traveler or whatever just under my opinion uh-huh. i i think it's so messily done and is just kind of a cheat code rather than like an actual <laughs> plot function um and i think that now, of course, it's 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 time travel, so it's a method to it's a means to a certain end in storytelling, right? The story is the 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 point, but I think that the time loop in in uh, Prisoner of Azkaban is closed up, it's determinative, and it it, it helps move the story along uh, rather than try to be like, look how cool time travel is. Let me come up with this crazy kind of sci fi theory, like. No, it's magic. Uh, we don't have to explain it. Um, and this is more about like self discovery, growth, um, you know, things of that nature. I think it helps
1: too that the reason they're able to do it is also taken away from our characters at the very end yes hermione has that realization of you know it's good to be studious it's not good to overwork yourself to the point of actually needing to go back in time just to be the smartest just to be the best like you gotta chill out girlfriend
0: yeah yeah and, <laughs> and you they kn- can't use it after this because it's gone well and, you know for hermione too i think she's like the most successful the most um Goal-driven, and I think a lot of times when people talk about time, and I think Harry Potter does this too. It's all about love, enjoying the moments that you have, right? Because when you look into the past, the past is very violent, and it's gone. You know, with parents dying, you know, his parents being dead, and all this stuff. But enjoying the moments you have, um, and I think definitely, I you know, I'm just thinking about this as you said that, but I th- I really do think that that's probably the point there for Hermione specifically that like life isn't all about achievement and being the smartest yeah. witch, et cetera, et cetera, but really taking that time and maximizing it for the things that are important, which, which can be academics, but it's also friends and family and things and say in, and, and saving people and, um, you know, <laughs> doing the right thing, et cetera. So, yes. yeah. Yeah. Uh, so also with new year, come, Comes time travel, but it also comes a new uh, defense against the dark arts teacher, right? So Lupin, uh, I think, holds a particularly special place in people's hearts for multiple reasons. Uh, without getting into spoilers for the future books, uh, Lupin saves Harry from the Dementor attack at the Hogwarts Express, right? Treats him very kindly, covers for him, and gives him special lessons, right? This is like the first time Harry's actually had like this mentor father figure. Um, besides someone goofy like Hagrid or somebody distant like Dumbledore. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think as one of the best things that has happened to Harry, uh, his relationship with Lupin also puts him in some of the most danger. Right. So (laughs) I think, I think the question that I want us to talk about maybe is like, why does the dual nature of Lupin make him one of the best, if not the best defense against the dark art teachers in the series? while also being one of the most poignant monsters and one of the biggest catalysts uh, for danger for Harry, I
1: think Lupin has done extremely well. and He's one of my favorite side characters in these novels because of that duality, that sense of, this man is one of the kindest, gentlest, smartest people you could ever know who is out there looking out for your benefit, wants you to be well, but he hides something inside of him that if it's let out, untold damage could be done. And that duality there is something that just heightens him as a character. You get that sense of this man knows about Harry's parents. Then how much do I reveal to this child who has never known truly in that sense, his father or mother's love outside of, you know, being protected by it. Exposed facto. Is that correct? Well, to say it is. (laughs) And outside of this, what do I tell him? What do I show him? Do I, softball him? Do I tell him all the nitty gritty, terrible details about how James messed up Snape? Nope, we don't find that till later. And that sense, that same sense of, well, I'm not just looking after this one person who is connected to two of my best friends. I'm also looking to the other students as well, teaching them to do what I've been paid for and to do it extremely well. Mm-hmm. Along the way, like that's why he's probably the best outside of, uh, oddly enough, fake Moody, is one of the best defensive against our dark arts feature they could have ever asked for because he actually does his job. Yeah. Unlike the past two. And we also last thing I'll let you have your way uh, is that sense of uh, one of Rowling's intentions that obviously I didn't understand when I was a kid reading this is that Lupin is kind of meant to be a bit of a metaphor for people suffering from AIDS mm. as they were seen. Uh, Back in the day is that, oh, well you you look like a regular person, but you have something inside you that's dangerous. And I don't want my children around you. I don't want anyone to be around you. You could touch me and oh, bad things could happen because people just didn't know. So they think, oh, well, in this sense, oh, he's a werewolf. Well, if he just scratches me, do I become a werewolf? What if he bites me right now? Or like, is he a savage all the time? Is he just pretending to be nice? Well, it's the same way. Think people used to do back in the days. And I missed AIDS epidemic, the height of it, because I wasn't born until 1990. But I still hear stories of how people dealt with other people, especially, you know, at, even you know, the gay community as well. It was like they already had a stigma around them. And then you add something else to that. It was like, oh, well, I now really don't want you around me because, well,
0: oh, what, what happens if I'm around them? I could get it too. Man. Oh, it's so good. I didn't know that about the About it being kind of an allegory for uh, the AIDS epidemic, because I have heard people talk about, you know, obviously, Lupin is poor, right? He's got shabby clothes because of his because of him being a werewolf, right? Because he can't get a job because people view him in this way. And, you know, it it makes perfect sense because even to this day, right, the, the urban myth of how AIDS was started is still mm. c- circulated, which is just completely false. You know, where people they're like, "Oh, some guy had sexual intercourse with a chimpanzee." Absolutely incorrect. You know what I mean? But it, yeah. it's this weird narrative that's controlled for particular reasons, right? And part of to stigmatize, to create a scapegoat, to avoid the actual problem, right? And I, and you know, I think Lupin later too is we get to this idea more later in the books about um oh well no that's not true it happened in in harry in the chamber of secrets talking about like quote unquote pure blood right and Mm -hmm. if you've got someone who is a werewolf they can't possibly be that right giants are looked down upon right because you know hagrid's half giant um you know he's a werewolf so all these things come into play um man that's so good i have the allegory there is just it just fits really well um you know and I, and i like and i talked about his the color of him just being gray and all his clothes not just being mm-hmm. a representation of his class and his poverty because of him being a werewolf but because of the he's a good character with more than just one secret right he's a werewolf right that we learned yeah. about and he has been helping Sirius this whole time and Sirius is innocent mm-hmm. but what i just remember when you find out when he embraces Sirius and the Shrieking Shack in the movie, and you're just like, he's gone over, right? You're like, he's totally evil, right? It's over. Uh, and then, of course, they explain and what really happened and who Peter Pettigrew is and, they, and all that good stuff. But um, I think it is also just Lupin is a good representation of just what a, generally accurate real life person is and what like mm-hmm. a real life mentor carries with it there's we idealize people right and and stories are good for idealized mythical characters right i am i'm a gandalf is my favorite character you know what i mean <laughs> um but it, lupin is this flawed broken character um that uh d- ends up being both the best thing for harry in this year and also like Probably one of the worst things, potentially, you know, um, as yeah. far as just as far as um, putting Harry at, at the biggest risk for his life in multiple in multiple instances. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that scene where you realize, oh, he's figured it out
1: for himself based on the evidence of oh, Harry saw Peter Pettigrew on the map. That can't happen. Only people who are living show up on the map. You have that scene, him embracing Sirius and going, at at that point, you know, oh, now they're working together. But what does that mean? Has it been the whole time they've been betraying us? Or no, Lupin literally just figured it out, put the pieces together, came to his best friend and embraced him because from his perspective all this time, he's been the sole survivor of that friend group. Like, yeah, sure, Sirius was alive, but he's an Azkaban. Right. And why would he ever go out to go see him? He's already a werewolf. Why would people want him to be known? Oh, that werewolf went to go see that mass murderer who worked for Voldemort. Like, we can't have that. And as far as he's aware, like, he's alone. He, He doesn't have the Potter family anymore to look after him. He doesn't have Lillian James, who love him unconditionally. Sirius is gone. Someone he trusted more than anything. Peter Pettigrew. He didn't know about the whole Fidelius charm or Fidelis or whatever it was. And him betraying them. So he thinks he lost another friend there, but only find his friend is alive and a murderer. Like, this man is wrestling with so much, and I yeah. love his portrayal here.
0: Yeah, I guess you, I guess you're right, because I, I guess he put those together, because Sirius was just, he got in because he knew about the passages from the mar- Marauders map, right? Yes. That's right. And uh, we do find in the book that Crookshanks is also helping him
1: out, because this whole time, uh, uh, I think Crookshanks is a boy, has like yeah. figured out that Peter Pettigrew is an animagus has been trying to kill him this whole time. And they're able to converse in their weird animal language. We find this whole time that, so they've been teaming up to try and kill him and to allow serious access to kill Peter. It, it's one of those weird things it's like, uh, uh, can an Animaticus talk to an animal? Well, apparently so. And, and it just works because you go, sure, I'll accept it.
0: A hundred percent Marauder's map and, uh, you know, animagus animal language. I, for, I had forgotten about that particular part of the story, Um, and another reason why you got to love freaking Crookshanks, dude, the best (laughs) snarky bad attitude cat ever. Oh yes. Uh, yeah. So we, we, we just went from, we love Lupin to, you know, Crookshanks is, is the best. Uh, but it's, (laughs) that's, that's how wide ranging and vast the Harry Potter, the wizarding world really is. Um, there's Mm -hmm. room for love for, uh, you know, a lot, I've heard a lot of people talk about Lupin being their, uh, Harry Potter boyfriend, you know? Which uh, I totally, totally understand. Uh, And we have room for people who want to be Crookshank's cat mom. So there you go. Or cat dad. Uh, So, yeah, we talked about Lupin, all these mysteries and and, and things that he um, was figuring out and secrets he was uh, keeping from Harry and others. Um, But, of course... Not surprising because Rowling is a mystery writer and the Harry Potter books are mystery slash detective stories. So subverting expectations um, is just a part of the DNA of the of the series. Um, But the the Prisoner of Azkaban really takes it to a different level. Um, Meme this phrase because I'm going to be saying it every episode about each book. I'm going to be like, it takes it to the next level. Just gets the, I'm going to sound like a freaking motivational speaker, dude. <laughs> the next level. All oh, right. Yeah. Maybe like more like, maybe like an a, late eighties, early nineties, like WWE wrestler, the next level brother. <laughs> like that's, that's where we're going. <laughs> uh, Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but so takes to the next level to Peter Pettigrew being scabbers, to Sirius Black being Harry Potter's godfather, to Harry saving himself with his own Patronus. Um, I think that these mysteries and subversions are part of what make this book so good and even stand on its own in relation to the future books. What say you, Christian? Yeah, uh, I agree once
1: again. This is one of those, for a mystery slash detective novel, you don't want to feel like you've been cheated out of potentially figuring out the answer. Now, nine, 10-year-old Christian, when he first read this, wasn't smart enough. You know, look at all the clues that are left behind. So he thought the entire time, well, obviously it's serious Black and we're going to have to kill him by the end of the book because he's the bad guy. But then when you read the books over again, you see the hints and the clues, like Scabbers has been around for over a decade in one house. How long do rats live again? Not that long, if I recall. So that's kind of weird. No one questioned it because he's just a dumb rat. Or so they thought. We get into the the grim. We see it through the entire book. It's like, oh, no, that's a portent of death. No, it's actually serious. Animagus form watching over Harry this entire time, trying to make sure he's safe mm-hmm. because he knows Peter Pettigrew is around one of Harry's best friends. So he can't stand to let that happen. And we get to the end there. We get uh, even just the uh, the mystery of the relationship between Snape and Lupin. Like, why did they hate each other? What's going on there? Why does Lupin really take joy at you know seeing Snape in the Neville's grandmother's outfit when the boggart turns into him for Neville? Like, well, it's because they kind of hated each other this yeah. whole time, and you know, Lupin tried to make up, but you know Snape is Snape. Like, we get these answers to mysteries that if you were paying attention
0: you're rewarded Mm. yeah yeah you know it's if you if if Rowling had never written any other harry potter books and had just given a little exposition a couple chapters on the background of harry kind of like uh our background that we get in the uh the sorcerer's stone where it's kind of very boring uh background information which you know It's there. It's good as you as you grow older, you you appreciate uh, those type of things. You know, especially as someone who loves the appendices of the Return of the King, I get it. Um, But I feel like that we probably I I would be happy with the Prisoner of Azkaban by itself. You know, as 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 it stands alone as a story, um, because I think that it is the it is not as expansive. the wizarding world is not as expansive as it gets, you know, in the goblet of fire and, and further mm. on. And, um, but it also has all these elements that make it a great story and a great mystery story. Um, and a great detective story where, like I said, I've, I'm not dismissing or saying like, yeah, I'd be totally fine with getting getting everything. Absolutely not. I want the whole series. I want, I want the big world. I want one, the whole, want the whole story. But if this, if this was by itself, I think it has the elements to be there, um, by, by itself because it is such a different book than the Sorcerer's stone of the chamber of secrets to a certain extent. Um, you know, and I, it just, like you said, it by itself, it pays off. Now, of course we need to, um, kind of have those seeds that you talked about to really kind of get the, the, we don't just get the payoff from the beginning of the story with mysteries, but all these other things that are hinted at at the previous two books kind of, um, just emerge and grow into something bigger than we thought they were, um, Man, I just I I love I just love this the so Buckbeak. You know, probably one of my favorite. Oh well, yes, plots, man. Uh, I mean, you gotta love Buckbeak, right? Like, and poor Hagrid. He he wants he means well, but
1: like he just honestly, I kind of agree with some criticism that he's just not fit to be a professor. Yeah, he's fit to be an enjoyer of the subject, and like there are plenty of things I enjoy. Like I enjoy studying history. I enjoy looking, you know herpetology, but I'm not ever going to be a herpetologist. I'm not ever going to be the historian. I don't want to do that. Like, I'm just not qualified for it, but I, I love, I can still open up a book about history and just have a lot of fun yeah. every day. And Haggard is just one of the, he means extremely well, but he forgets what he's dealing with because, well, I can take it. Therefore, everyone else can. Forgetting the fact that he's
0: however many feet tall, half giant, and a lot of things are intimidated by that. Yeah, it it just cracks me up that Hagrid's position here uh, ends up staying through the Goblet of Fire and I think onwards, right? Yep. I think he only leaves later on when, uh, when certain things happen. Yeah. Not to spoil. And he's like, nope, can't be around. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. But Buckbeak, you know, is that man, Hagrid just has a bad time with with monsters in general. Like he gets a baby dragon uh-huh. and immediately has to let it go. He's sad. His, uh-huh. his best friend, his spiders, you know, gets in trouble at Hogwarts mm-hmm. and Tom Riddle and he ends up keeping him in the woods. But then they try to kill Harry and Ron. And now uh-huh. Buckbeak, uh, you know, attacks the worst person possible, you know, Draco <laughs> Malfoy, which, you know, he <laughs> deserves he- it. Oh, all, I mean, I think everybody who watched that movie or reads the book gets gives a little uh, freaking kip yes when it happens, yes. you know? But of uh, course, the slash and Hermione punching him too, like it's so satisfying. So satisfying. Like people have talked about how Hermione does that and commits violence in a way that's ethically questionable, but <laughs> I don't I don't even care. I don't even care. Uh when she I didn't see it happen exactly uh and, <laughs> I'll, you know, slide. and I, I'll admit it i will watch I, I watch that movie and i watch it again and i like it um yes yeah. i'm a fallen man you know martin luther if you sin <laughs> you gotta sin boldly you know what i mean so <laughs> i don't know if that's quite what he meant but i'm taking it and running with it <laughs>
1: Well, even with Draco, too, he gets some come up and it's like we learned Harry this whole time. We haven't even really talked about the Dementors. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the fact that they're emotion eaters that mm-hmm. are essentially uh, an allegory for depression. Right. And he is dealing with a lot worse than everyone else because of the immense trauma he's experienced that he just hasn't been able to handle well because therapists don't exist in the magical world. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunate. But that that moment. In that one Quidditch match where he and I think it's Crab and Goyle like dress up as the mentors to scare Harry and he produces his first Patronus without realizing it to take them down. It's just such a satisfying moment as McGonagall like is about to beat
0: them for what they've done and they win the game. It's like it's perfect. Ah, yeah. So many, so many losses for our bad guys, um, as usual, (laughs) and so many wins. Um. It, well, you know, this may be the last book where we really get uh, some serious wins uh, without some major losses. Uh, you know, mm. you know, there's the cost isn't quite as as high as we'll we'll see for the victories in the next oncoming books. But I think too, just a, the mentors, because like you said, we. I feel like we have to. I should I should have included in this as a discuss a, a further discussion note or or point. But the sim- the symbolism in The Prisoner of Azkaban for characters, for new creatures, for for things that are happening, just start to bloom in a way that the Harry Potter series, I think, is heading, is, is, will be known for, right? Where you recognize people return to those books over and over again, and you learn something new, and the Dementors become the symbol of something even more than what JK Rowling intended them to be. You know, you, these things that suck your soul and suck your emotion. There's so many different types of ways people relate to that personally with depression and, and beyond. Um, I've heard people talk about like spiritual trauma related to, you know, Dementors and how that's embodied. Mm. Um, and you know, I'm trying. It, it just is, uh, you know, the Dementors is a, is a big one, but we really do see that symbolism in those almost universal resonances that are available through just good storytelling um, and, and good writing. And like you said, it those good books do that by themselves where elements like the Dementors, like one monster in the story evolves into this thing that people can engage with on so many different levels. Um, yeah.
1: Oh yeah. And like the fact that they can only be beaten by having your mind in the right spot to where you can focus on what matters on what truly brings you joy is something like sure it's on the nose, but it works like, cause it's not always going to be a cure all, but it's good when you're in those depressive episodes to remember what do I still have working for me? And like, even like the idea that chocolate just cheers you up, however magically that works. Uh, Yeah, it does sometimes. It's sometimes just nice to have one good thing going for me. Like someone hands me a chocolate bar and I've had the most miserable day in my life. It cheers me up. Or I just have, you know, I I did well in a game I played or something like that. Like, you got to take those small victories, think about them and realize, oh, well, those small victories, they're small. And I have a ton of larger victories out there in my life that I can use as my personal patronus against it. Like, it's not something I'm ever going to truly conquer
0: while I'm in this world, but it is something that's going to help me fight against it. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. So good. So good. Um, I think it even ties into even Hermione and her perception of time, you know, and just kind of Mm. refocusing your mind for, for the joy, for the wins, for those joys that you can experience in the moment or in the past. Right. Um, I think you articulated that super, super well. Um, I love that so much. But you know, I think that as as we will probably continue on through the series, uh, there there's a lot there's a lot of death and uh, depressive stuff. Uh-huh. So I think ending on joy and the Patronus is is a good way to uh, bring <laughs> us down from our from our discussion here. Um, unless you unless you have something else you want to bring up, Christian, before we before we uh, sign off uh, here. Yeah, just real quickly. Yeah, I yeah. just shout out my boys, Fred and George.
1: Oh, absolutely. Once again proving themselves the true bros of the series, recognizing Harry can't get to Hogsmeade because he doesn't have a parent to sign his permission slip form. What do they do? They give up one of their most prized possessions for their brother's best friend because they love him too. And they know, oh, we're about to leave Hogwarts in a little bit. Let's have someone we know
0: who's capable of mischief continue in our steps. And I could think of nothing better than that. Ah, uh, Fred and George, the ride or die, man. The, they are those friends that just keep giving and you're like, I don't, people do not deserve you. And they're like, yeah, we mm-hmm. know. And they brush it off and then they just keep doing amazing things. Oh gosh, I've had those conversations before. I know exactly what you're talking about. They're just
1: true bros and, and not just bros being boys, like plenty of girls have been bros to me
0: too. A hundred percent yeah bro when we're talking about bros and the way we're talking about it transcends that it's any like categories dude. Uh, yeah dude, he's a dude, she's a dude, we're all dudes, less than Jake said it good <laughs> in the intro to uh to good burger oh yes, uh which the second if that doesn't out. cheer you up, I don't know what will yeah literally and i'm 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 I don't care if it's a nostalgic cash grab, I'm pumped for uh good burger <laughs> too are you. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> okay, uh, so we will we'll, we will transition to the recommendations here, uh, Christian. Wh- what do you what do you got in the recommendation holster for our listeners? Yeah,
1: uh, as I'm continuing to catch up to modern DC comics, uh, I finished. I'm caught up with Batman. I'm caught up with Superman and Action Comics. So now I'm doing the Flash with the Jeremy Adams Wally West run, and I am really enjoying it. This is someone who cares about the character a lot. He's getting through a lot of wacky hijinks. There was a really fun meta issue I just read where he and Dr. Fate were actually talking to the reader. You've got to hold the comic like this in order for things to happen. You've got to believe in us to get this done. It's like I'm a complete and utter sucker for that. As someone who's written a book where that was like a minor plot thread, like I'm in it. I love it. So Jeremy Adams Flash Run,
0: I think uh, it was start like 760 something. I'd have to look it up. That's what you, so Flash Run, this awesome Flash Run that Christian is obviously super elated about and it. it makes me happy the way you're talking about this run. Uh, you, you just got to join our Patreon. You got to follow us on the interwebs. You got to join our Discord because guess what? If you're like, you know what, I, that sounds awesome. Uh, you can message us and Christian will gladly give you the, the proper issue number. Um, you know, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And possibly a selfie of his gorgeous face. Uh, no promises on his <laughs> behalf, but <laughs> I, I do charge for those. Okay. He's charged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll get you those links to that website later. Uh, but, uh, my recommendations, I, uh, I am going through a, uh, a critical analysis of Tolkien's, uh, literary theory, which is called Splintered Light by Verlin Flieger. And for any of my Tolkien nerds out there, um, and you're trying to do a deep dive, if you're like, you know, what I want, I want, not not only do I want to read Lord of the Rings and nerd out about it, I want Tolkien to further shape the way I view the world. Uh, go get Verlin Flieger's Splintered Light. It is just a s- spot on in the way that she uh, unpacks tolkien's metaphysics his theology his literary theory it, and how it just unfolds in the legendarium it's just chef's kiss i uh, there's notes mm. all in the margins uh yeah all right yeah worth getting um all right so uh this has been a great episode listeners uh you need to if you enjoyed this conversation with me and christian and if you missed judy and you've been with us before uh you, If you want to hear a voice again, you need to uh, go on Apple Podcasts. You need to go on Stitcher. You need to go to Spotify and you need to subscribe. Okay, to systematic ecology. You need to go to our YouTube channel. Check out what Christian's all about with his, uh, with his horror nights. Talking about Atlantis. Super pumped. Uh, and all the other stuff that Christian does on YouTube. Uh, join us. Uh, be a Patreon, man. Be a patron. Be a captivate person. Uh, you'll get bonus questions uh, like the one that Christian and I are going to record after this episode. That you will only have access mm. to if you uh, give us your cold, hard cash. Um, or... Uh, you know, I don't know, actually, just kidding. We need your money. I lied entirely. Give us your cash. (laughs) (laughs) We will not exchange anything else. We don't, we are not on the barter system people. Uh, But uh, yeah, join us. We would love to hang out with you. Love to talk to you on the interwebs. Um, And then until next time, uh, just remember we are all a chosen people, a geekdom of priests.